So we have been studying Colossians now for several weeks. Some of you, uh, if you're new to kind of studying through a book, this might be, you know, different for you. But uh, we try to do that because we think it is of great value and uh, for our lives, for our spiritual lives, to understand the Bible so that you're clear, you know, clearer on that, what it teaches. And so um, we are in Colossians, and we're kind of, you, you would explain it this way, maybe it's the, he's teaching us about the pathway to Christian maturity. And he's, he's grounding that in your union with Christ, that is, your relationship with Christ, your um, uh, connection to him that's this inseparable union that you would have if you are a Christian. That's what he's speaking of. You have died with him, you've been raised with him, and there's like this union that takes place there. You, you are brought together with Christ. And so as a result of that, uh, that's the pathway to Christian maturity. And other people are coming in and saying, oh, there's another way for you to grow in maturity or for you to excel or to you, for you to move forward. And he wants them uh, to understand who they are in Christ and how they're to live in Christ. And so that's at the heart of it. The first kind of few chapters or first couple of chapters, he's, he's uh, going to explain who we are, but then at the same time correct some doctrinal er- errors that would come up. And then as we move forward, and as we have started forward, we're moving to practical things. What does this look like? A lot of us uh, may say, um, if you've learned anything, um, you, you may say, just get me over there so I can practice it. Like, you, you learn all, some of you are trained that way. You're trained and you get all the information, and then they, the next step of your training is practice. And so you move from knowledge to practice, and that's how we Oftentimes, uh, that's aspects of how we learn. Sometimes there are things where you kind of get knowledge and then do a little practice. You get knowledge and do a little practice. Well, again, he is focusing now more on practical application. Now, here's the thing. If you were to think about it just for a minute, just kind of trying to work through it, if you were to think of, um, and I've read a guy, he said it this way. If Paul was doing a project, and the project was, you could say something like, uh, let's say he's doing a home project and he's stripping out faulty wiring. That's what he's doing at first, kind of. So he's tearing out all this faulty wiring, which would be like the false teaching. And then he's going back in with the proper wiring, which would be sound teaching or sound doctrine, and he's going to put that back in. And maybe you've experienced something like that before. But the deal is, is like, what is the source? And then how are we taking from that source to the plug, let's say, He's got to tear all that out and say, like, y'all tapped in the wrong source and the wiring's all messed up anyway. So if you've ever dealt with something like that, you would know that. I, uh, when I moved uh, to seminary, I moved into this apartment, and I just got this new coffee maker that somebody gave me as a gift. And I go in, I plug it in, and it burns up. And I'm like, this is the sorriest coffee maker. What are they doing with their quality control there? I knew this company wasn't going to keep doing well, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I really wasn't thinking that bad of them. But anyway, I'm sitting there thinking through, like, what's going on? So I go back, and I'm like, uh, this is a bad coffee maker, and I hand it to them, and they hand me another box with a coffee maker, and I go back home, plug that dude in, the same thing happens. So I'm like, man, I can't believe this. But uh, somewhere between getting that second, uh, trading in that second one for the third one, I thought, you know what, there might be something wrong with that plug, you know? And so somebody probably needs to look at that before I burn another one of their uh, coffee makers up. But anyway, it ultimately ended in that way. It was, uh, 
it, there was something wrong with the, the way things were wired. It was not proper, uh, the, the thing, either to the energy source or the actual like wiring itself, I guess you would say. And I think we have to think in terms of that with these false teachers. You have to say they promise to give them power. They are rooting it in, in, in their own effort. They're promising power. They're rooting it in their own effort. And then they're bringing that wiring in and saying, and then they're giving them practices that don't match up with what God would intend for them to do. And so Saul has to be torn out and put back in. Listen to this from Colossians 2.23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Right? So they're going to the source of themselves making their own religion. And asceticism, which in severity to the body, what's that saying? That then, then it's almost like we're going to find within you the life source. And then you're going to practice it in a certain way, and it's going to bring you there. So he says, severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They are tapping into the wrong power within. They're using the wrong practices. That's what self-made, man-made, earthly religion that may even call itself Christianity sometimes. That's what it does. It would come right beside Christianity and say, you'll find it within to gain acceptance with God. Do these things. You'll find it within to have this higher spiritual thing, uh, you know, experience. Do this. Paul says, strip out all the wiring. You've tapped into the wrong source. The, the energy to do what you are called to do is not found within you. It is not you rescuing yourself. Christianity is not a, a good news because you rescue yourself, because you're a self-made Christian. It does not work. That's a lie. And it's a satanic lie. And it is going to, it will burn you up. In this life and in the one to come. So here's the energy source, like in Colossians, Colossians 2.15. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing uh, over them in him. So in Jesus, we are victorious because of our union with him. We're victorious over all of the enemies the things that we might be afraid of or should be afraid of, if we're not, he is victorious over all of those enemies. Sin, death, hell, the grave, Satan. Make the list. So he's the proper power that Paul's saying that we are coming, like tapping into. And the proper wiring would be, in, in this way, he is that. Because it says in 2.19... And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So it's saying you've got to be wired into him. He is the, the place and you're really wired together in him. He is the source. He is the power. He is the, the proper wiring will be like within the context of the local church as you are Tapping into the head who is the energy source so that nobody's saying like, well, I did this, I made this, I accomplished this, or whatever it may be. 
Whenever you start saying, look at what I have done, and you're looking down upon what other people haven't done, you're a great person for, like, you know, a poster child for a man-made religion built by man, dies by man. Kind of scary. I mean, it's a frightening thing. So that's where we, we're saying, like, we don't want to do that. We want to follow the apostle and listen to what he says. He wants us to grow. And the heart of the message is you need to be united to Christ. He is the source, and uh, his church is the way and the means by which he is accomplishing his plans on earth. Colossians 2.20 says we've died with Christ, and 3.1 says we were raised with Christ. So we experience from death to life, and therefore we're to seek the things above. That's what we've kind of been talking about. So there's a lot kind of going on here, wonderful things going on, and we need to see that. Now, what's today? If last week was, you've got to feed the heart by seeking the things above, seeking Christ, seeking to see Him and understand Him and grasp what you have in Him. This week kind of goes to some negative advice. You, you, that's maybe what you could call it. It, it, it's, it really is a, it's negative advice in the sense that it's saying like, this is the things that you won't be doing. Or you shouldn't be doing. So it's, um, and, and really, he's going to target like, what do you do with those things? You don't nurse them. And this, this kind of gets into the heart of that. Like, what are the, what's the negative advice? You've got to deal with your sin. How do you deal with it? You've got to put it to death. That's what he says in verses 5 to 7. And another way he speaks of it, so he kind of says, put it to death. It's almost like execute it. Drag it out in the parking lot and put it away. Kill it. That's what he says, very direct. The other thing he says in verses 8 through 11 is, dealing with sin, your sin, is like changing clothes. It's like you have to put off those old ways and put on new. So today is all about how to deal with your sin, how to address it. He is talked about like look we want a heart that results in obedience you seek the things above and you're going to be casting off the things on earth that's where he's at today so let's start with verses uh, 3 verse 5 through 7 put to death therefore what is earthly in you is that is that something you like to do like if we were to just stop and say you know what let's talk about this real quick do you love to put to death earthly things in you? Do, you? do you enjoy that? You're like, well, I don't have any earthly things. Well, maybe after we look at this, you might see some that you would be struggling with. Do you love to kill your most loved sin? Now, again, some of you may have different definitions. I was meeting with a guy the other day, and I thought, like, he has all these things that he considers to be sins that I don't consider sins. Why is that? Well, I mean, I think he kind of grew up in a deal where they had a list of sins. In a way, it's almost somebody had like made a list that, that went beyond what the Bible did. And so he was kind of like, he had all these lists of things that I was like, I don't, where is that in the Bible? Well, I mean, you know, you don't, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. But I mean, when it's legitimate sin, legitimately in the scripture, not, not something you've crafted up because that was what everybody did in that community but legitimate sin what's going on with that what are you supposed to do with that you're to put it to death even the ones that you love the most john owen said be killing sin or sin will be what 
killing you. So you can't just deal with it lightly. He says, put it to death. Um, have you ever been uh, wanted almost it to be like a really uh, kind of a lightweight thing? Like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of deal with that, kind of. You know, I, it's almost like you would dabble in it. Like, I don't know, like it, it almost like let's do a kind of a soft and gentle uh, clean of it. You know, that's not the idea here. Like when you think about dealing with Israel's sin, they didn't go over there and like pet the animals. Oh, look at the sweet little animals. They brought them in and they killed the animals. Why? Because there was a substitution that had to take place. When Jesus went to the cross, you don't look at that and say, oh, that was a really nice thing that happened. It was horrible. It was brutal. It was frightening. It is horrific. It's more than just a physical death. He's dealing with eternal things, eternal matters. The wrath of God was poured out on him. So when you're dealing with sin, you can't, if you're going to deal with it like God deals with it, it doesn't require something like, oh, it's okay, everything, it's all nice and easy and there's not, it's not a problem. That's not how he deals with sin. Because he knows what sin is. So you kind of want to, Go after sin the way in which God goes after sin. And it's not, uh, it's not beautiful in the sense of like flowers in the spring and wonderful little smells. It is a brutal work that must take place. To deal with sin is to say, this thing that I've thought of as my best friend must die. The thing that gives me most comfort must die. The thing that seems to satisfy me most must die. He is saying, you must kill sin. It's almost as if inside of you, if you're honest, sometimes that there's this voice when you think, like, kill it, there's this voice that immediately comes up and like, wait, hold on just a second. It, it's, it's, not, it's not really killing me. It, it, it's, it's really my friend. It wants good for me. It makes me happy. Whenever somebody says over and over, this is what makes me happy, and when they don't get what makes them happy, they throw a fit. I'm like, you need to probably kill that thing. You know? Because what makes you happy um, ultimately can end up, especially when it becomes consuming, it can end up being your God. And so oftentimes, it'll be a good thing that you've turned into the most important thing. That's just what happens. You can do that. We can do that. I can do that. All of us can. And sin says, let me live. And God says, kill your sin. Destroy it. Put it to death. So, we keep thinking about that because I think it's important. We want to act like that sin is not that bad, but when you walk the road to Calvary and look behind even the physical suffering and understand the agony of the wrath of God poured out upon His Son, you don't trifle with your sin. You don't dabble with your sin. You don't play with your sin. You don't make it like your sin's not sin. Like sin is not hated by the Lord. And so, Paul starts, and I just you got to see this in this text, and I hope you're looking at it here, but Paul starts with physical outward expressions and then pulls back the curtain to what is behind that. So catch this, like if you're a young person here, 
and you're saying like, I haven't really been listening to what you're saying. Let, let me just say this. You ready? When you get in trouble with your parents because they can see what you do on an external basis, like your parents, some of your parents are never paying attention to what you're doing. Okay? That's the reality. Because you don't ever get in trouble. But if you do get in trouble, and they are paying attention, which they should pay attention, and you should get in trouble. Oftentimes, they are just seeing your external, right? They don't see what's going on in your heart. And what the Bible says is it's not just, that's why it's important when you think about spiritual things, that you don't just think like in your head, as long as I don't do this, this, and this, mom and dad won't get on to me. Like, if, if that's what you're thinking, like, what you need to understand is behind that, behind all your actions, is your heart. And sometimes it's hard for them to see that. And sometimes it's hard for us to see it. All of us. And so let's look at how that works so you understand it. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You ready? What does he do? He starts with the external behavior and goes all the way back, he begins to move deeper and deeper and deeper into those things. So any sexual practice that is outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman is sexual immorality. This is an external act. It, it is something that is, is raging in our culture. It is something we battle with all over this culture in the church. It's not something that a Christian is, uh, never deals with. That's just foolish to say that. It, it is something that they dealt with. It's something that Paul knew that they were going to deal with. And Paul knew that even if it didn't always express itself out, out, outwardly, inwardly, there were going to be issues. He knew how sin worked. Because sin is like, it's almost like if you sometimes see a tree and you think, well, that's all there is. One day the boys and I were uh, just going to get it, pull up a little bush. And so we... Uh, we ended up putting a chain around the bush, had a four-wheeler, and we would like pull up, and then the four-wheeler didn't have enough power. And so uh, to, to just pull it out, because it had been there a long time. And so we backed up, and I told Will, uh, I mean, like, gassed it, you know, like hit the four-wheeler and pulled that, that root out of there. And so he, we backed it up, and he hit the gas, and the other two were on the back of the four-wheeler. And when he, when he did, it, it like the chain like stopped it, you know. The other two boys almost fall off the four-wheeler. And they're like, what's going on here? What was it? There's a root system deep within that's like attaching. Deep, like It went really far down. And so eventually we were able to pull it up. But it was not without great work. And I would just say, do you understand that? Like all of our sin, and honestly, it's not even, sometimes you might say, well, that's your sin, not my sin. And it's like, hold on just a second. The church works together with one another to help fight each other's sins. That's just what we do. It's like if my kids would have been out there, they'd be like, hey, dude, you bought this house. That is your plan. I'd be like, hold on just a second. We're in the same family here. Get your tail on that four-wheeler, and you get your shovel out. You know, we're working together here. But I just think it's important that you understand that. There is this deep abiding struggle with sin. So he goes from the behavior, then he moves into impurity. Um, they're, they're, these are things that, uh, that don't belong, things that are tainted, things that um, if you were trying to, sometimes there's all different types of chemical ways to 
get out contamination or to separate those things that contaminate so that you can purify like a metal or whatever it might be. There are passions. So those are, uh, in the normal sense, they're good. In the, in the abnormal sense, they can drive you and they're almost, you can't even hardly restrain them. They're like a wild horse within you. And so that's driving you towards uh, evil, sinful behavior. There's evil desire, which is a lot of things, times where it starts. It starts with what I desire to do. And if left unchecked, then my passions will drive me. If left unchecked, then I will uh, pursue all kinds of wickedness. It's one of those things that is difficult for us. Now, if you go back even further... There's covetousness, which would be wanting something that's not yours. It's wanting something that is not yours. Or wanting something more than what the Lord would intend for you, evidently. And so you're saying like every action, Paul uses an example that was real in that culture, but you understand he could have used a lot of other examples. And there are a lot of examples in this room that aren't used here that you would say like, you, you say, the action is this. Can you help me look back and get back to the heart, the source of that? What's going on within me? Now, if you go back even further, you can say something like this. When your natural earthly appetites get out of control, you begin to want more uh, th than really what God intended for you. Idolatry is when it leads to worship. It's when you're bowing down to a God and, and, and you're worshiping that desire more than anything else. Now, you say, how do I know when my heart has moved to worship? And I always like the way, I can't remember the author, he said when a good thing becomes a, a, a God thing, it's a bad thing. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it's a bad thing. So whenever you, listen, will sin to get something or sin when you don't get it. So some of you in here might be able to say, I can point fingers, you know, at my kids or spouse or friend over there. You know, they could maybe come up here and tell you your, your sins of the heart, right? You'd be like, whoa, hold on just a second. We're not doing that today. But what we are saying is like you understand that our hearts are little idle factories. They're always longing for uh, something. That they can really easily get focused on things that are not God, not honoring God and worshiping God. And oftentimes it's by looking at other people and what they have maybe, and you say, I want that. And then the desire grows, and then it's like a flame that's burning through, and then you say there's impurity all over that, and then you say, oh, I'm given to it altogether. And so Paul says he starts with the action and moves back to the heart, and we just need to see that. And I think you have to look at those things. When good things become God things in your life, it's, bad, it's a bad thing. Um, it's like uh, what, whatever it might be. We can make a long list. There's a lot of things like that. And so we just have to say we have a tendency uh, to move in that way. And sin is not just external behavior. So one other thing I want to say if you're a kid here. There are some kids that grow up and get in a lot of trouble. You know why? Because their behavior is not right. There are some parents that are really good at parenting behavior, but not the heart. Some kids kind of grow up and they're like, you know what, uh, I know what I'll do. I'll keep all the rules and my parents won't ever get on to me and I'll do whatever they say, but I really don't care about what they say, right? And those kids sometimes don't get that much attention, but what God says is the real true issues are 
not just the external behavior, but also what is going on in your heart. So just remember that, and you want to consider that. And he's saying kill those things. Catch them there in the heart. Fight them there before they get outside. Catch them and fight against them. War against those things. Matthew 18, 8 says, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame um, than with two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. So what are some ways? I I just think it's important sometimes to get practical uh, because, again, whether you're thinking about someone else or you have been graced enough to see your own sin this morning, like God has been gracious enough to help you see something that you battle with, what do you need to do? One is this, and I, I do think... Sometimes if you grow up in church, you might not know this, but there might even be someone who could grow up in church and really good at kind of going to church, like church people, have friends here, but they're not really born again. I mean, they're just not. The new life has never taken root in them. They've, they've never died to sin and alive to God. They, they've never experienced the transforming work of grace. That is a reality. So there are, I remember a friend telling me like he went to a church and he said for like 10 years he was baptizing so-called believers that had been baptized. You know, and again, we could debate whether, how all that would work, but the, the reality is this. He was saying, I had a lot of these people that grew up in church that did not know the Lord. And so that's at the heart of this. We understand at the heart of it is that Christ must, you must, your heart must be changed, you must be born again. The second thing is, is God has given us ways um, to grow in grace. And what does that mean? It means there are things like public worship that is important. You can come up with a million reasons why you don't need to be a part of a local church. And those things are lies. I mean, you can tell yourself whatever, that it's not that big a deal, but public gathering with the people of God over long periods of time, hearing the truth of God, being confronted with your sin, and walking in that, hearing the people of God sing, uh, using the ordinances as He's gifted us with, all those things are good. They are good for your heart. They are good for your soul. God has given us those things, and they are good for us. He's commanded those things, and they are good for us. And not only are they good in a public sense, they are good privately. They're good to do that with your family. You might say, I don't have time for that, or we're always really busy. Busy doing what? Worshiping your idols? And what, what are you doing? Why are you too busy to take time every day, regular, regularly within the week with your family to read, pray, and sing? Why? You, if you say, well, I'm just, we're just so, we have so much going on. Well, whatever you have going on is not more important than that. So why don't you kill it? Why don't you put it away from you? Because what do you think it's going to produce? So I think another thing is just saying we need private, we need public. Those things are beneficial. They are God. God has, uh, has told us to gather together to worship. There, we are commanded to study the Word together. We are commanded to pray and all those things. And so why not make that central in your life? Third, and I, I just think it's important just to, or fourth, I guess you might say, um, we, 
I, I think you need other people in your life that will talk you through. I mean, uh, things. I have friends like that, like, and, and you probably do, and um, that that you can like share with them uh, what you're dealing with and how you're struggling. God intended for you to be able to do that, to confess your sins to one another, to pray for one another, to help each other fight sin. You don't fight that battle alone. It's crazy. I mean, you just don't. That's not the way He designed it. That's why He talks about all of those one another's. Just go look them up. It's not a deal of like, I'm going to run at this alone. Some of us maybe have grown up our whole lives thinking like, we're Superman or the Lone Ranger, and it's just not that way in the Christian life. You weren't designed that way. And uh, you're not the hero of the story. You're just not. And so we need one another. So I think all of those things help you move in a direction to kill sin. Now, just to keep thinking about it. Oh my goodness, my time. You ready? I'm going to hit you with a couple more things here. You have to kind of like as a reminder say on account of these things the wrath of God is coming. Like if you think they're not a big deal, you know, your sin's not a big deal. The things that you're, you do habitually, the ways in which you hurt one another is not a big deal. And you want to make it like a clean thing. Like, an, oh, it's not that, my sin's not that big a deal. You know? Whether that's being judgmental or struggling with what, it could be anything. Some of you could be like really good in your own eyes, but like hurting people all around you all the time with how, like you like or so you're like the you're like uh, Satan standing there condemning the people of God standing above them. You feel like God made you the prosecutor of the church, of your spouse, of your children, like prosecutor in a way where you're like if if you think that that's not like somewhere in there you're saying like there's no hard issue there. You're like really, come on man. You know. So I think it's just important to say you need to understand the wrath of God is coming on all sin. God is going to bring judgment upon those who live in rebellion against Him. God is going to judge those who are self-made, like man-made religion people who have this, this way of living. He's going to... That is like uh, where they almost, like I said, it could be a really religious person or it could be a really wild person. But at the end of the day, God's wrath is coming on all those who reject Him, who do not tap into the source of Christ, who do not live within the context of His community that He has built and that He is feeding. Revelation six fifteen and 16 says, it really doesn't matter who you are. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the general and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What is he saying? Like You understand? Judgment's coming. Like even if you, don't, you think sin's not a big deal, judgment's coming. Like you make it light, judgment's coming. You you go to you want to go to a church where they don't talk about sin, death, hell, all those things. Judgment's coming, whether you think it's going coming or not, whether you make a big deal of it or not, it doesn't matter. Judgment's coming, 
And so if you're sitting there maybe today really self-righteous and you have like a total misunderstanding of what's going on in your heart, judgment's coming. It's not so it's not a it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And God is saying to us when you think about your sin and you're dealing with your sin, you need to put it to death. You need to go to war against your sin. You do not need to say, it's okay, I'll let it live here. You have to say, never again. You have to go to war. You need one another to do so. You are not trusting in your own effort alone, though. And I just think that's important to say. Verse 7 says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. What is he saying? You are now united to Christ. You are no longer dominated by those things. Verse 5 says it's a present struggle. Verse 7 says it's the, in the past tense. How do you deal with that? It's both a present struggle and it's a the victory's already been won. He's, he puts those two things together to help us see it. So here's how we're going to conclude today. I want you to listen to Colossians 1. And then one more verse in, in verse 2. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order that you, he might present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So how do you deal with sin? You kill sin. You don't sign a truce. You don't back off. You say, it needs to be destroyed in me. And yet at the same time, I say to myself, and I understand that I have to understand positionally the victory has already been won. Jesus has done for me what I could not do for myself. And in practice, I still battle with that. So positionally, victory. Practice, I'm still struggling with that. All along the way, for any of you here, you have to say, whatever sin that may be that the Lord brings to mind, it is not just external. It moves to the internal. And oftentimes, you don't even see it on the outside, and it's growing on the inside. And so what you want to understand and what you need to see and I need to see this morning is, is that we have to fight it, and we have to fight it by faith in the Son of God who delivered us, and we have to fight it vigorously. And we need each other in doing that as we seek to fight it and put to death those sins that so easily entangle us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom to see. To see our sins, to not look in the mirror and think about everybody else's sin. To 
not look in the mirror and think, oh, we haven't really dealt with sin. We don't have that much sin. We've never really fought with sin. To not dismiss our things that we like so much, that we think make us happy, that are earthly. Things that don't really matter with an, if you have an eternal perspective. We ask, Lord, for people today to see those things and say, those things that I get most angry with, with my spouse, those things that I cannot stand to deal with over and over with people, those things are probably messing with what I treasure most. And if it's not the Lord, Lord, you sh- we ask you show that to us. Help us not just see the fruit, but get back down to the roots of it. So we can kill it. So we can be- kill it and be set free to love each other as we ought. In Christ's name, amen.